Wonderful. Okay, we're going to talk about principles for anger management. Um, and so we're going to jump into James. If you want to open your Bibles to James chapter 1, we're going to talk there for just a few moments today. Um, before we do, let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer and ask God to bless our meeting here uh, tonight. Father, we love you. Thank you for all you've done for us. I pray that you speak to us from your word. Thank you for giving us principles in every area of life. And Lord, thank you for uh, the wisdom that you have given us through your word even thousands of years ago that apply to us today. Now, Father, tonight I pray that you'd meet with us in the short time that we have, these 20, 25 minutes, and I pray that you would work in us and through us, God, and give us the tools that we need in order to encounter our anger and to, uh, Lord, uh, remove its power over our life in the ways that we react to those and those circumstances that come around us. Uh, give us your uh, blessing tonight, Father, as we read from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, James chapter 1. Uh, the Bible says, verses 19 and 20, uh, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. I'll say tonight that the way you handle your anger says a lot about you. The way you handle your anger says a lot about you. Now, we understand from the Bible that not all anger is sinful. Um, and so understanding, of course, that Christ, who uh, reacted in anger to seeing the, uh, the thieves and the, the, the den of thieves, so to speak, that was happening at the temple as the money changers were there and were making money and uh, taking advantage of the people that had come to the temple. So there, there are circumstances where righteousness uh, and righteous anger work together in order to accomplish the will of the Lord. But uh, I think it's interesting that this verse says, the righteousness uh, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Uh, our Anger does not work in support or conjunction with, uh, with what God has planned going on in the world today. And so we've got to be very careful to mitigate or to relax our passions and our, our, our intentionality about our anger uh, in order to make sure that we support the work of God and not work against it. Uh, a helpful way to mitigate your anger tendencies is to learn how God sees anger. And so we're going to go through a few verses tonight of different ways that God sees anger and then use those same mindsets in order to help establish in our hearts the way that things ought to go. And so let's see what the Bible says about it. Um, I have three points tonight. First of all, anger is indicative of a selfish lifestyle. James chapter 4 says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. And so we see that anger is indicative of a selfish lifestyle. Proverbs 12 tells us, The way of a fool is righted in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. A fool's wrath is presently known, but a prudent man covereth shame. Um, and so we see that uh, a selfish lifestyle is often a root cause of anger. And so if you've ever thought about the anger that you may have experienced, many times our anger comes from a root of selfishness. Uh, we're upset because we didn't get our way. Things didn't go the way that we planned. Uh, and sometimes the anger that we feel, the passion in the moment, that just infuriating, right? We feel that because of a selfishness that has taken root in our lives. And so when we learn to put away our selfishness, it's amazing how we have much more patience and long sufferings in these areas. And so first and foremost, I would look at uh, this selfish lifestyle. Now we know many people in the Bible that live selfish lifestyles. I picked one just to mention here, um, and that's 
uh, the man that interacted with David, it was uh, Ahab. Or I'm sorry, not David, but uh, that's another story here. But Ahab, who wanted a vineyard. You remember the story of Ahab who wanted the vineyard? And he's got uh, Naboth there, and Naboth has a vineyard, and Ahab's looking over his garden wall at uh, Naboth's vineyard. And he sees something that he wants. He's getting selfish. Um, and as a result of this selfish lifestyle, this mindset that Ahab has, uh, Jezebel ends up coming in and getting involved. And she kills Naboth. She takes the vineyard. And so we see sometimes how selfishness can create a spirit of anger, of, of, of accomplishment, and, and doing things no matter what the outcome, uh, the end justifies the means and those sorts of things. It can cause uh, some really negative things to happen as a result of our selfish mindset. So be careful, first of all, of a selfish lifestyle. Secondly, watch a foolish mentality. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 9 says, Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of of fools. Uh, it's not a secret. You read any verse on anger in the Bible and you'll find a very common thread that anger is indicative of a fool. Um, and so we've got to be very careful in the way that we act to not come across as a fool. Um, because that's the word the Bible uses to describe someone who's angry so many times in Scripture. They're a fool. They're a fool. They're a fool. They're not able to control themselves. They are uh, a fool. And that's what the Bible calls them. First uh, Samuel 13 tells us the story of Saul, and many of you know the story. Um, but the reason why Saul, who is king of Israel, the first king, um, the reason why God is angry at Saul and, and later uh, r- refuses his family for the king or for the throne um, is not as a result of anything except this foolishness. And so we see how foolishness can really get into someone's life can cause them a lot of problems, and can create a a circumstance where they've changed their entire outcome for the rest of their life. We look at Saul's life uh, here in in 1 Samuel 13. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly, and have not kept the commandment of thy Lord, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. And so uh, Saul uh, acts foolishly. He takes of the uh, the Midianites, who he was spo- or the Amalekites that he was supposed to wipe out, and he takes the the uh, animals and he tries to save some, and he's going to offer them for sacrifices and these things. And uh, he's acting foolishly, and so we see foolishness uh, is something that is craziness. Uh, now you listen to the story about Saul, and you think he's crazy. Why would a man like that try to offer uh, sacrifices on his own? He's not a priest; he doesn't hold that office. Um, but sometimes we put ourselves in, our, in the category with Saul, and we act foolishly uh, every time we lose our temper. And so understanding how the Bible sees someone who cannot control their anger can help us uh, relieve that anger and to uh, adjust to it. So first of all, anger is indicative of a selfish lifestyle. Secondly, it's indicative of a foolish mentality. Thirdly here, uh, it shows us a diminished view of God's omnipotence. A diminished view of God's omnipotence. Um, I'll, I'll say this carefully. Uh, if you really struggle with anger, and by the way, I personally, I, I speak from a point of experience. I've struggled with anger for a long time. Um, and this is something that's an ongoing issue. If you were to meet some of my family members, you would find them to be angry people. Um, and this is something that has to, uh, with long-term benefits, work, work through a situation where anger is really a difficult thing to come over. And so if you are someone who has experienced anger or you have had trouble dealing with it in the past, um, I would say carefully that you may be struggling with a diminished view of God's omnipotence. You've gotten to a place in your life where you've removed God's control as an option for your future. Let me explain that. 
you care, I'm trying to speak carefully because I don't want to offend anybody here tonight, but uh, you may be dealing with an issue where you just don't trust that God knows what's best for you. And so your anger comes quick and heavy because you don't trust God to make a decision for you. And so your problem with anger and and people who mess up or people who cause you problems or uh, difficulties that come into your life that just get in your way and you're, you're, you know, dead set. And and by the way, anger often uh, affects people who are driven. They want something out of life. They're pushing themselves. And by the way, great things to to be uh, shown, you know, great things to have in your life. But uh, I think sometimes it's a result of not trusting God with the circumstances that come into your life. And so you will struggle with anger, not just because you're driven, not because you're passionate, but because you don't trust that God is bringing certain things into your life to help you and to mold you and to make you in the way that he sees fit. And so uh, carefully tonight I'll say, you may be experiencing a diminished view of God's omnipotence. Uh, You simply don't trust God. I look at Jonah chapter 4, and Jonah, uh, who has been running from God forever, he, he finally turns, he's in the belly of the whale, he finally cries out to God and says, fine, I'll go where you want me to go. The, the whale spits him out, he goes to Tarshish, he does the thing that he's supposed to do, and he's angry. He goes and he sits down, God has a juniper tree that uh, sprouts up, and this juniper tree covers Jonah from the heat, and the heat covers him, and then the tree dies. You know the story, Jonah 4. And this tree dies, and what is, uh, what is Jonah's reaction? Anger. God, how dare you? How dare you? I came all the way here for you. know. And he's, he's just swinging angry. And uh, you look at the interaction there, and you just it's amazing how Jonah has gotten so self-centered. He's, he's acting foolishly, and he's ignoring what God has brought into his life and what God's trying to teach him. Now, God's showing him many things. And if you read Jonah chapter 4, you can see all the things that God is trying to teach Jonah there. Um, but uh, I think many times our issue with anger comes not from a place of passion, though it it's, has, has some uh, ties to that, not necessarily from a, a place of being a driven person, but instead with this issue of not trusting God with the circumstances that come into our lives. Um, and so this is where James chapter 1 comes in. This is where it t- shows us, or teaches us, rather, how to control or to gain control over our anger. And so if you'll turn your attention to James chapter 1, we're going to look at verse 19. Three parts to this. Three parts to controlling our anger tonight. Um, and we're going we're gonna to finish off with these. James chapter 1, verse 19, it says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren... Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. And so let's, let's pick these apart here real briefly. First of all, listen completely. Swift to hear. Uh, when you're uh, experiencing a circumstance where you are talking to someone, um, and maybe you know it's a particular person that just really grinds your gears or really makes you upset or uh, causes, has caused issues for you in the past, and created circumstances that are uh, difficult and, and possibly a, a problem for you, let me encourage you to be swift to hear. Listen the whole way through. Wait out the problem. Uh, wait for the solution to come, sometimes uh, beyond your control, because God is often working in these circumstances. We said that before. God brings circumstances into our lives in order to create a situation that we can gain uh, some sort of uh, thing from in our future, or we can learn from, or that will help mold us and make us into the person that we ought to be. And so if we will take the time to listen completely, uh, I would say slow your mind down. 
Uh, some of us, we're, we're so quick. Our minds are fast. You're, you're just quick-witted and you just, uh, you're driven and you've got that mentality about you that's like, let's deal with it. Let's go fast. Let's, you know, and we want to run and we want to just, ah, you know, we get angry. And the reason is because we are not allowing ourselves the time to hear things through completely, to give God an opportunity to work, and to just slow ourselves down. Throw the, throw the e-brake on, right? Uh, if you're experienced with any sort of motor vehicles. You just, have you ever driven with the e-brake on? Anybody accidentally? You're not supposed to do that. Um, I've definitely done that before. Jump in the vehicle and you get ready to go and you're just driving down the road and you're like, Why? Why is this car? It's like driving a molasses. It's not like this. i got to take it to the mechanic or something. And before long, you look down at your, and you're trying to see how fast you're going. And you look down and you see that little red light. It's just shining up at you, and you think, man, I'm an idiot. There's, there's my e-brake, and I had it on, and oh, man. If you've ever done that before, you understand how difficult it can be to drive a car in that circumstance. Well, in, this menta- in, in, in the, our goal of listening through completely, throw that e-brake on in your mind. Slow yourself down. Make yourself wait before answering, before reacting, Choose to slow down. Count to three. Uh, I've heard people say before, uh, I've got to count to 100 or I can't, I can't react in any way. Whatever number works for you, find a way to slow yourself down and uh, react carefully. Uh, choose to slow yourself down. Something bad happens to you and you go, okay, one, two, Three, you know, and, and count as long as you need to count, however long you need to count. By the way, uh, I, I've read a lot of parenting books. I haven't been a parent for very long. My wife and I have a three-year-old now. Well, she'll be three in, in about a week or two. Uh, well, a couple of weeks. And uh, I, what I've learned is very carefully, if you, if you are in anger, that's a bad time to punish a child. Anybody learn that for themselves? Okay, bad time to punish a child. And so uh, many, many child-rearing books and things, if you're going to... Uh, create a punishment. It's very uh, encouraged to send that child to a room or, or someplace and then wait a few moments for yourself, get yourself under control, and then go in and deal with the problem. Um, and same thing, same thing in this situation. We are in no hurry. We create our own uh, time, and if someone's like, you've got to deal with this now, and this is a problem, no, no, no. We, we have time. We have time. And so slow yourself down. Be swift to hear. Uh, hear the whole problem through and react Slowly, I would say this number two. Uh, the Bible says, "Swift to hear." Secondly, slow to speak. And just continuing this thought of being slow to speak. Think clearly. Think clearly. Uh, we know. Most of us know when we are when we are being overly passionate, when we are being overly uh, confrontational, when we are being overly angry, and we're reacting in a way that's not right. Most of us know that. Most of us know when we're being a little bit too uh, zealous about a certain thing or when we're creating a, a situation that's going to come back to bite us later. Most of us are, are, have the forethought. If you would slow yourself down, you would see these circumstances coming. Most of the time we get in trouble because we just react, right? We just dive right into it. Well, I'm just going to start throwing elbows and uh, making, my, making my way. Um, but realistically, if we would take the time to slow ourselves down, like we said, listen completely, swift to hear, and then we would be slow to speak, meaning work carefully through these situations. Maybe you've uh, gotten a, an email that was a uh, dangerous email, dangerous because of what was about to come back from you, right? As you got ready to type it out, okay? Gotten a few of those, all right? And as you go to, as you go to respond, 
think carefully how it will seem from the other side. And by the way, with an email, uh, you can put that off for a couple hours, a couple of days, who knows, you know, uh, a few weeks, a few months, you never know. Uh, and so carefully react um, and write that thing out, wait a couple days, uh, wait a couple hours, whatever needs to happen, come back to it. A lot of times I've learned uh, I am more passionate than my wife is. Uh, and so not, not that she doesn't, isn't passionate about her own things, but generally speaking, I'm going to be the angrier of the two of us. Anybody could have guessed that? Okay, don't raise your hands. Uh, but knowing that, a lot of times I will take something that I, I'm feeling, you know, I'm feeling the anger, it's brimming, and I'll take it to my wife and I'll say, hey, could you read this? And uh, this is what I wrote. Could you just make it sound a little nicer? Uh, and she'll type it and she'll reword a couple things. And no, you can't say that. That's not going to work. Backspace, you know. Uh, and she'll sometimes take out some things that really just, they're, they're a problem for me. And so carefully uh, react slowly. Uh, think, listen completely, swift to hear, think clearly, slow to speak. And then our last thing, the Bible says, slow to wrath. Um, and this is responding patiently, responding patiently, slow to wrath. Um, make people earn your anger. Make people earn your anger. I, that's a weird thing to say. I, you've probably never heard anybody say that, that string of words all in the same sentence, but make people earn your anger. Uh, it is not something to be proud of to have a short fuse. You ever thought about that? I've met people, and, and most of the time it's immature, teenage guys, you know, that just want to brag about something. They have nothing in life to brag about, and so they brag about being an angry person. You ever met someone like that where they're just like, ah, you should see me when, when I get angry, I just, you know. And they get really, like, proud about how terribly they can control themselves, you know. And it's the weirdest thing. But I've met adults that are that way as well. I've met mature with children, kind of adults that just simply cannot control themselves. Um, and so be, be very careful about this. Learn to uh, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Make people earn your anger. Most situations can be dealt with with a soft hand, turning away wrath. Soft hand, turning away wrath. Um, I remember carefully, and I'll share a story about me that isn't the best story about me, but it was a turning point in my life. Um, I remember... Uh, when I was in junior high, I went to camp for the first time. Uh, and at camp, for the first time as a junior hire, we had, we had traveled on a bus, uh, 18 hours of travel. We went from Indiana to uh, North Carolina, but it was the south corner of North Carolina. Um, and so we traveled across several states on the bus for 18 hours. We got in there. We were having a great time, uh, loving life, left on a Sunday night, got there on a Monday afternoon, um, and drove all night, all the things. And so we were having a great time. But in my cabin, our cabin was a, a group of about 30 guys. There were about 15 bunk beds in this room, uh, in this cabin. And, and some of them were guys from our church. Some of them were, were guys from other churches. And there was this one kid in this room. I, I do not know his last name. I couldn't point him out of a lineup, but I remember his name. His name was Josh. Anybody know a Josh? Terrible people. I'm just kidding. No. Uh, and Josh was an instigator, and he would cause problems. And I remember he would pick on me and just, just be mean. He was a bully. I mean, Josh was a bully. Every Josh is a bully. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. But uh, Josh at camp, you know, uh, at camp when I was a teenager uh, was a bully, and he picked on me all week long, and I felt like I just couldn't do anything right, and he was just always on me about something, and it, it just drove me crazy all week long, just, oh, oh you know, and it's like you, you were just so upset the whole time. Um, we got down to the last day. We have one day left, and uh, I got this bright idea. To, uh, to, to give a little bit of retribution on Josh. And so there was this path that went through the woods, and uh, on this path there were a lot of, like, 
sticks that had overgrown, and the camp hadn't done a good job of keeping things trimmed back. And uh, if anybody's ever walked through the woods with somebody else, and you, they hold the branch in front of them, and then they let it go, and you ever gotten hit by one of those? Well, there was a particular branch, and I thought, I thought, if I hold this in a certain way, I can get him. And he was right behind me. I thought, oh, this is going to be perfect. And so I'm in my brain, I'm calculating the geometry of holding this branch at what angle and at what you know, strength and holding it to the best of my ability. And he comes around the corner and man, I just got him right in the face. Oh, best feeling in the world. Now, uh, did that out of anger, okay? Been angry at him all week. Finally, got my comeuppance. Well, my, uh, my, my camp leader, okay? Uh, my camp leader... Ended up having to have a conversation with both of us, sat us both down. Of course, now Josh is crying. I'm the bad guy now uh, because I'm the one that caused him pain. You know, it's a whole thing. Um, and he, uh, the, the counselor there, and I, sadly, I, I think his name was Nate, and that's the best of my memory. His name was, uh, to the best of my memory, his name was Nate. Uh, and Nate, who was probably not even as old as I am, he was probably 20, 21 years old, looked like an old man to me. Uh, and he looked at me with what measure of wisdom he had. And he said, Cameron, why did you do that? And I said, well, I'm just so angry. He's like, okay. Why were you angry? And, and it was strange that he, he asked it in such a way that I could have explained all the things that had happened that week. But instead I said, well, I, I just, I, I just I, you know, my dad gets angry. And so that, that's just how I reacted. Now, again, I, I say that. I don't know why I said that. I, 100% hand on the Bible, that's what I said that day. My dad gets angry, and so uh, that justifies my anger. And he looked at me, and he said this, Cameron. He said, that may be the reason that you may react in anger in a particular situation, but don't make it an excuse. And ever since that, I, I can't tell you the wisdom that that moment has brought me over the years. It may be a reason, but don't make it an excuse. So many times in our lives, we react in anger, we justify it, we create a solution in our minds of why this is okay for us. And it may be a reason, but let's not make it an excuse. And so very carefully, uh, I'll say one more time, I think anger is indicative of a selfish lifestyle. I think it's indicative of a foolish mentality. And I think it's indicative of a diminished view of God's omnipotence. If we will listen completely, we'll think clearly, and respond patiently, I believe we'll always be better off in every single situation that we encounter. Um, I've got just a few minutes, and, and I've got one more story to tell. Do you guys want to hear another story, or do you want a few minutes to talk? One more story. Okay, this is the worst, this is the worst argument my wife and I have ever had. You guys ready for this? Okay. Here we go. Here we go. We, we were not yet married. We were not yet married. We were engaged. We had gone for a couple of days to spend time with my family. My brothers are younger than me. Um, and my brothers had recently gotten into Airsoft. Anybody ever played Airsoft? Okay, don't get ahead of my story. All right. Um, and so my brothers had got, uh, gotten really involved in Airsoft, and they had all the, you know, the, the guns that shoot them and all the, all the extra product and bulletproof vests and, you know, Airsoft bulletproof vests, all the things. They've, they've got everything. Um, and so we showed up, and we had spent a couple of days there, and we were having fun, and they said, hey, do you guys want to play Airsoft? 
And my mom's got, she lives on seven acres there. And so we were like, oh, yeah, that'll be fun. And we'll enjoy that. And, um, and so we uh, ended up, they, they had plenty of weapons for everybody. Um, but they only had safety equipment for two of them. Um, and so we kind of like, you know, eeny, meeny, miny, moe, split, uh, split up the safety equipment. So you got a pair of goggles, and I got a helmet, and you got the bulletproof vest. And, I, you know. and so we kind of like just kind of divvied up what we had, and everybody kind of evenly was not, not protected. Uh, and so we were, you know, having a great time, and uh, we had split up on teams, and Cindy was on one team, and I was on the other team, and I had a brother, she had a brother. And so we were working around and trying to uh, win against the other team. And so the, the, the game is simple. You just find somebody and you shoot at them. It's, it's great fun, you know. Uh, probably a really terrible pastime, but nonetheless. Uh, and so we were enjoying ourselves, and uh, we had gone through a couple of rounds, and we had gotten to this last round, and we thought, okay, we're, we're really having fun, and we were getting a little more bold and things. And uh, my brother and I had gotten to this position on the corner of the house. And we were kind of working our way around the corner, and we knew where uh, Cindy and my other brother were. And so we had uh, gotten to this position, and the, my brother that was with me, Corbin, he and I were working together, and Corbin had tried to army crawl across the grass because there was a slight hill there. And he was trying to just lift up his head, ended up getting hit in the helmet, now he's out. Okay. Um, and so I'm standing there, Corbin's walking off, he's out. And I'm thinking, okay, how am I going to do this? I obviously can't crawl across the grass. Uh, going around the house, it's a long way, and they'd probably anticipate it because I wouldn't have any cover fire. And I'm going through these thoughts in my head, and so I'm like, let me just get a better, better view of their position. I did the, one of these around the wall. Um, and when we, divvied up the, when we divvied up the safety equipment, one thing that I did not have was a pair of glasses. Uh, and so when I did this around the wall, my beautiful wife, who was not yet my wife, and uh, I got three airsoft bullets, pellets right across the face. And so I had a shot here, a shot between the eyes, and then a shot right here on my forehead. And now, great shot, great shot. Now, at the time, I could not appreciate what, great, what, what a great shot that was. Uh, I was angry. And I, I will say, I don't know that I've ever been that angry before or since this event. Um, so I came around the corner, I mean, screaming mad. They were hearing me miles away. Uh, you may have heard it here in Oregon, I don't know, but uh, this was several years ago. If you felt tremors, then we'll talk later. But uh, I was angry in a way that I've never been angry, and I was just full in, running across the yard, screaming. How dare you, you, you know, don't you know, and we agreed not to shoot in the face, and all the things, right? We, and, all, and I'm just verbally dumping on her. Now, here's, here's the problem. Uh, she's such a great shot, she didn't know that she'd actually hit me. Uh, and so uh, I come running across the yard screaming at her, and she stands up from behind her position, and she goes, you can't talk to me like that. And she just slaps me. Just slaps me. Now, first of all, good for her. Secondly, how dare you? No. Uh, thankfully, in that moment, I realized that something was obviously wrong, that we were obviously on the wrong page about something. Her slap stopped my mental, you know, verbal garbage that was coming out, and I literally went, hmm. and I turned around and walked away. Now, praise the Lord, I, you know, very easily a different day may have reacted a different way, um, but in that moment, reacted well, um, and so now she's angry, I'm angry, we're both stewing, took a few minutes apart. We're able to uh, come back together a few moments later. I said, hey, you ready to take a walk? She's like, yeah. So we left the guns, 
thought about taking them with us. We left the guns. Uh, we took like a, you know, seven-mile brisk walk, not quite, but uh, we just started walking down the road, and I'm, you know, calmly, not really, uh, trying to calmly converse with her. She's calmly trying to converse with me. We discovered the issue. She didn't know she'd shot me. Uh, I, you know, the, the position that I was in was in a terrible position. We shouldn't have been playing without, you know, safety equipment, all of the things that were happening, um, and we're able to work through our problems. But sometimes, sometimes we react uh, without giving ourselves a moment to think. And I, I truly believe if I had waited around the corner and I just cl- carefully seen, okay, I still have vision, I, I can see out of this eye, I can see out of this eye, all right, that was really stupid, we should probably stop that. I think, I truly believe, if I had taken the time, like the Bible says, to be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, um, that situation would have turned out a little differently and I wouldn't have had a cool story to tell. Um, and so my hope is that you will be able to avoid a situation like that yourself um, and be able to react carefully as the Bible says. We can't control our circumstances. We can't control the things that happen to us. But we can control how we respond to them. And so I hope that will be uh, your endeavor in the future with every situation that you have. Uh, let's pray and we'll be done. Father, we love you. Thank you for all you've done for us, God. I pray that you'd help remind us, Lord, in the moment when things go wrong, when people upset us, uh, when trials come, that you're in control. Lord, I pray that uh, we would help, uh, keep, keep us, Lord, from being selfish. Lord, help us to remember uh, how foolish we look when we react in a terrible way. And God, I pray that you'd help us to have the faith that we need in order to trust that you're allowing certain things into our life for a reason. And Lord, as a result of these things, I pray that you'd help us to be slow to hear, slow to wrath, and slow to speak. And, and Father, in all these things, we give you the honor and praise. We pray that our testimony would be a, a, a benefit and help others come to you and not the opposite. Bless us this week, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, our next session starts. Our next session starts at 555. 5.55. Okay. Well, I may start a couple minutes early because I don't see a lot of movement of people coming in or out, so maybe we're all here. Who's, everyone who's coming is coming, I think. So let's go ahead and start with a word of prayer. And um, in case you didn't know, the topic of this lesson is finances, so if you're brave to be sitting here, I thank you. We're going to be looking at the Bible here and what it, has to, what it, what it says about finances. Um, we're not going to get too deep in 30 minutes, but I think that um, we'll have a good overview of some biblical philosophy on how we should um, handle our finances and what real, the real uh, purpose of them are. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for loving us and for providing for us this week. Thank you for all that you've given to us. Thank you for your word that we can use as a guidebook for our life in all areas um, and, and even in finances. And I pray, Father, that you would give us wisdom as we steward the gifts that you've given to us, um, whether they're great or small. Uh, Help us not to compare them with what others have, but help us to use them uh, effectively for your kingdom work. In Jesus' name, amen. Most of what I'm going to talk about tonight is going to be in the book of Proverbs. Um, I feel like Proverbs has a great 
basis of a philosophy on how we're supposed to handle our money and our finances. Um, Solomon, of course, was the wealthiest man that we know of um, in the Bible, and uh, he provides through, of course, the Holy Spirit's inspiration, some great principles on regular people like us. How are we supposed to view money? Um, How are we supposed to handle it? Let me start by saying God has never needed money to accomplish his will. Um, I think sometimes we can get a wrong perspective on thinking, well, if I don't use my money for this, it won't get done. I think when Jesus fed the 5,000, he was very clear to his disciples. Remember what his disciples said? They said, even if we had, I think it was 200 pennies worth, we wouldn't have enough to buy food for all these people. And Jesus didn't say, well, I guess we're not doing anything today then. No, God has never needed our money to accomplish his will. It's our privilege to use what God has given to us for his work. That's our privilege. It's not God's need. It's our privilege. Um, God doesn't need our money, but he does expect us to be good stewards of what he has given to us. Faith is the currency of God's kingdom. Remember when Jesus came, um, Jesus said, I'm, I, I'm showing to you a new kingdom, a new way of thinking, a new philosophy. You're used to the worldly kingdom um, where currency and gold and silver are the, are the means by which you make transactions. Jesus told us that faith is the currency of his kingdom, but money is the currency of the kingdom that we live here on earth in. And we have to learn, as citizens of both heaven and earth, we have to learn to be good stewards of both. Both our money, our currency here on earth, and also the faith, which is the currency of God's kingdom. I think James is very, the book of James is very interesting in chapter 2. He gives us this uh, kind of window into how we can convert kingdom currency, which is faith, into worldly currency, which is money, and vice versa. It can go both ways. Um, James says, Hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith? And that's the basis by which um, Christ's kingdom operates, is faith. Um, Remember when the widow put the two mites, um, and she gave those in the offering to the temple. Jesus said she gave more that day than all the others that had given gold and silver into the temple's coffers. Now, how could that be? He wasn't measuring it in worldly currency. He was measuring it in his kingdom's currency, uh, faith. Let me um, say here that there's a, cycle, there's a cycle that we live in here on earth, and it's the cycle of life. And this is what we're going to look at here in the book of Proverbs. We're going to look at how money is a cycle from the very beginning when we start working. My son just started working this few weeks ago. His first job, his first real job, where he gets a paycheck and he has to report to work and um, he has specific duties to do. All the way from that first day that we begin that first job, all the way to the day that we die, Solomon lays out a, a cycle of how we should handle our currency, our money here on earth. I brought with me here a few samples of different monies. Um, this is a note from Bulgaria. And unless you're from Bulgaria, you would look at this currency and you would say, I have no idea what, what the value is. I don't know if I'm getting ripped off if I go to Pizza Hut and buy a pizza with this. It says 20, but I don't know if that means... I don't have any context to know how to use this. I'm not from Bulgaria. 
Well, this is the same way that Solomon gives us principles on how we can use both the earthly kingdom currency, which is money, and also God's kingdom currency, which is faith. The more we get into God's word and the more we understand his philosophies on, on money, the better we are at handling it and being good stewards. So that at the end of our life, we find ourselves profitable and not wasters, not well, I, I wish I could do that over again. Now, it doesn't matter what stage of life we're in. God has put us here on earth, and he's given to us another day. And so we can do it right and be a steward going forward. I wrote down here um, seven, uh, seven different phases of cycles in life. And this is what we're going to look at here, principles from Proverbs on finances. First of all, the virtue of work. The virtue of work. Uh, don't squander the productive seasons of life, Proverbs 10.5. He that gathereth in summer is a wise son, but he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causeth shame. So the very first phase of, of our being a steward is our work. Um, the Bible over and over again teaches that not every season of life is going to be as productive as other seasons. When I, um, I teach personal finance in the school here, and I taught personal finance in a college before moving here, and the people that I taught to, the seniors in the high school here at Grandview, they're in a season of life where they're about to become very productive. But some, at some point in our life, we start winding things down. We're not looking to work 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week. We're looking towards retirement. We're getting closer to a season of life that is not as productive as far as financial. And Solomon tells us here, what, you need to learn to work in the productive seasons of life. Number two, uh, all of this is under the virtue of work. Work for wisdom more than wealth. As you work, work for wisdom more than wealth. Proverbs 16, 16. How much better is it to get wisdom than gold? And to get understanding rather to be chosen than silver. Again, these are, these are philosophies from the Bible. These aren't philosophies that we necessarily hear from the world. But this is how God views money. Next, diligence in work is a key to financial well-being. What is a key diligence? Uh, Proverbs 10.4, He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. Now, I used to caution um, students, those are the people who are young, and actually all of us, I would caution them and say, it's not for us to judge why people are poor. First of all, poor is a relative term. There's a poorest person in this room, and there's a richest person in this room. But we could reshuffle this around, and the poorest person could become the richest person, and the richest person could go into another room and become the poorest person. And so poverty and wealth are relative. But it doesn't matter where you are on that spectrum, of whether you consider yourself poor or, or middle class or rich, the fact of the matter is, is much of that is out of our hands. Now, there are principles we can live by, but when you look at Job, Job is a perfect example. Um, if we look at Job at the bottom of his life, we could say, Job, what did you do? Didn't you, were you lazy? You weren't diligent? That's not for us to judge. Uh, Job was not lazy. Job was not diligent, and yet he found himself one of the poorest people for a certain segment of his life. And so we just have to be careful that we don't judge people based on their relative wealth or poverty, but these principles are still true. Uh, diligence in work is a key to financial well-being. Next, be satisfied with God's timing. This is still all under work. 
Be satisfied with God's timing. Proverbs 28.20 A faithful man, a faithful man, shall abound with blessings. But he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. And this is a theme that is hit on over and over and over again by Solomon in the book of Proverbs. This idea of trying to get rich quick. Uh, We live in a society and in a culture that says, oh, play the lottery. Oh, you know, do something, get rich quick. The, the, the faster you can get rich, the, the, the better it is. And although getting rich quick is not wrong, it's not a sin to get rich quick, pursuing wealth to get rich quick is. I mean, there are people who invent something and pff, all of a sudden they find themselves, they're 20 years old and they're a multimillionaire. There's nothing wrong with that. But making that a life pursuit is dangerous. Be ethical to the vulnerable. Proverbs 28.8. He that by usury, which is uh, high interest, and unjust gain, increaseth his substance, he shall gather it for him that will pity the poor. As we work, we have to be careful that we don't become self-satisfied in our own work. And we start looking at other people and saying, oh, if, well, if you worked as hard as I did, you would have, you'd be able to, uh, maybe I might be charitable to you. We have to be careful about our attitude. All of that is under the virtue of work. After work, and by the way, these seven points are in order. They're in order of how we live our life. Um, if we do them out of order, we can find ourselves uh, financially precarious. Next is the purpose of planning. And next to this one, I would write budget. Now, I didn't give you a handout, and I'm sorry, but if you're taking notes, the purpose of planning or budgeting. Uh, number one, plan for God first in your finances. When you're budgeting, first of all, it's very hard to budget if you don't have an income. This is why work is first. Um, we have to learn to work before we have resources that we can budget. So if we don't have an income, then we, it's very difficult for us to plan that income. But number one, plan for God first in your finances. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. What I have found working in ministry and, and being in church since I was a child is those who plan in their budget to give, give more than people who just wait for the feeling (laughs) or the opportunity. And so God is saying here, I want you to plan your first fruits. Plan. Make a plan on how you're going to give. Don't just wait for an opportunity. Plan. Every week or every month or every so often, whenever I get an income, I'm setting some of it aside for God and for His ministry and His work. Next, actions, not motives, determine financial consequences. Actions, in other words, what you do determines financial consequences, not why you do things. And this is one that sometimes people have to think about for a second, and like, wait a second. Unfortunately, motive doesn't matter when it comes to finances. Um, It doesn't absolve us of the consequences of poor financial decisions. Let me explain. If you don't pay your bills, but you give a lot of money to poor people, it doesn't mean they're not going to turn your electric bill off, or your electric lights off, or your gas, or you're not going to have money for your car. So our motives, although motives are are important, they don't absolve us of the consequences of our financial decisions. I wrote down here Proverbs 6, 30, and 31. Listen to this little allegory. 
Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his soul when he is hungry. But, so in other words, his motive is he's hungry. He doesn't have anything to eat. So men are like, okay, I guess we'll give him a pass. We understand why he's stealing. But if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. That's the consequence. He shall give all the substance of his house. Solomon is saying here, even if you think you have a good motive, and it may be a good motive, but that doesn't absolve you from the actual financial consequences of decisions that you make. Next, learn to live frugally. This is all under planning. Proverbs 21, 17. He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. He that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. We have to learn self-discipline and to live frugally. It's okay. We live in a society that says the, the, the more you have, the better. Uh, the, the more you can indulge, the, the more successful you are. And, and that's not God's philosophy. Next, be honest with yourself. When it comes to budgeting, and when I'm dealing with young people and their budgets, the first thing I say is be honest. Um, what I find is a lot of times people, uh, if they're struggling with their finances, then they don't want to know anything about their finances. They never look at their bank account. They don't look at the bank statement. They don't reconcile anything because... It's just too painful. I never look at the balance of my credit card. And the, one of the key points of planning is you have to be honest with yourself. Proverbs 27, 23, and 24. Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks. And by the way, it takes diligence. Money is one of those things you take your eye off of it for just a fraction of a day or for a week, and all of a sudden you're looking at your account. Where did all that money go? How did that credit card bill get that high? I don't remember that. Then you look at line by line. Oh, yeah, I did that. Oh, yeah, I did that. Oh, yeah, I did that. I guess it adds up fast. So, uh, be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks, and look well to thy herds. For riches are not forever, and doth the crown endure to every generation. Next, third, third main point here. So first, work. Second, plan. Plan your income. After you've worked and you've planned your income, the next thing that you have a duty to do is the duty to pay. The duty to pay. Uh, pay your debts when they are due. Proverbs 3, 27 and 28. Withhold not good. By the way, that word good means goods. Like we use the word goods. Withhold not good from them to whom it is due. When it is in the power of thine hand to do it. And then he gets more explicit. He says, Say not unto thy neighbor, Go and come again, and tomorrow I'll give, when thou hast it by thee. He's saying, When your bills are due, pay them. Um, Now I understand we can all get ourselves into situations where... We just literally do not have the ability to pay. But if we do have the ability, he said, if it's within your ability to pay, then you pay it. And that's the first principle, our duty to pay. Ethics and honesty must be prioritized over money and wealth. And again, this is not a philosophy that's taught throughout the entire world. <laughs> but, but ethics and honesty must be prioritized over the accumulation of wealth. Proverbs 11.1, 1, A false balance is abomination to the Lord. But a just weight is his delight. Back in those days, when you went to the market, they would weigh your gold and your silver. And unscrupulous uh, people would either shave their coins, or they would add a little bit of weight onto their balance, so that it made it look like they could get a little bit more. And God says here that's an abomination. When we're dealing with other people in financial transactions, and we're not ethical and honest... When we knowingly deceive people, God says, that's an abomination to me. Sometimes people divorce, for whatever reason, sometimes people divorce the idea of spirituality and ethics. 
And God says, I don't see a difference between those two. If you want to be spiritual, you also have to be ethical. Next, be prudent in your obligations on behalf of others. Proverbs eleven fifteen. He that is surety for a stranger shall smart for it. Whenever I read that verse, I think of just someone coming up and slapping me. That's, oh man, that smarted. <laughs> and he that hate, hateth suretyship is sure. Wow, there's a lot of S's in that, sentence, in that verse. In other words, don't cosign. And this verse specifically says, don't co-sign for a stranger. In other words, unless you are sure, sure, sure that you know this person, like it's your child, uh, do not co-sign. Do not uh, obligate yourself to someone else's debts. It's hard enough for us to live a life paying our own debts. Uh, Don't sign on the line for someone else. Next, not everything in life should be for sale. Proverbs 17, 23. A wicked man taketh a gift out of the bosom Why? To pervert the ways of judgment. Here, this goes back to ethics again. It's very easy for us to look at somebody and say, well, what can that person do for me? Maybe that will determine what I do for them. And God says, be very careful about taking a gift and allowing it to cloud your judgment on decisions that you make. And then underneath the duty of paying, be morally pure. Proverbs 29.3 Whoso loveth wisdom rejoiceth his father, but he that keepeth company with harlots spendeth his substance. That's Solomon's warning. If you want to be financially successful, that is tied to moral purity. And that's one of God's principles. Next. So that's the virtue of work, the purpose of planning, the duty of paying. And you notice the order we're going in. Um, First you have to work in order to have income. Then you have to plan that income. Then you need to pay the obligations that that you have engaged in. After that, the gift of giving. By the way, some people sometimes will say to me, well, I just want to give more, but I don't want to, but I have so many bills. And the issue is, and I know this is very difficult um, to change in one day, but in our life, in order to give more, many times we have to lower our standard of living. And that's difficult for Americans to swallow. It's like, well, I want to give more, but I also want all this. So what do I do? Well, many times the choice is lower my standard of living so I can give more. And that's why giving is number four. Pay what's owed before giving sacrificially. Proverbs 21.3. To do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. By the way, when we obligate ourselves to pay a bill and then we pay it, that's just. That's judgment. Um, When... um, When we say, I will pay this, and then we don't, and instead we use it for something else, that's injustice. It's injustice to the person that we said we were going to pay. Next, be generous to the poor. Proverbs 19, 17. He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will he pay him again. Giving is easier when our perspective of money is correct. Proverbs 13, 7. There is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. There is that maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. See, not everything in life can be measured by our bank accounts. There are people who can increase their bank account, and yet they're poverty-stricken. And there are people who seem, well, how is that person so happy? Because they're rich, rich in faith, rich in God's kingdom currency. Um, Giving is a, by the way, when our perspective is right on that, then it's not as hard for us to give. Because instead of us trying to accumulate as much wealth as possible, we're, we're trying to trade some of this world currency into some of God's kingdom currency 
by the means of faith. Giving is a gift to ourselves, Proverbs 11.25. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. And that's God's promise. It's God's promise that those who give, God makes sure that they're given to and taken care of. Now, I always preface that, and I've already said this, but that does not give us a license to give away what we have obligated in a debt to someone else. Because in God's economy, that is injustice. Next, give without expecting a favor. Proverbs 13, 7, To have respect of persons is not good. For, for a piece of bread, that man will transgress. And God says, you know what? Make sure your gift is not kind of trying to line your own pocket by giving something here. Well, I only give to people that I think might be able to help me in the future. God says, don't do that. So that's number four is giving. Number five, the wisdom of saving. So we've talked about earning, planning, paying, giving, and now the wisdom of saving. A fool spends all that he makes. Solomon's pretty clear about that. Proverbs 21, 20. There is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. Um, there is nothing wrong with, and I don't think that anyone here thinks there is, but there's nothing wrong with a Christian saving. Um, you know, sometimes people will say, well, I just spend everything because the rapture might happen tomorrow. And that is true. The rapture may happen tonight before we get there tomorrow. Not only that, you may not be here tomorrow. We may be, may be in a casket, might have died. Uh, we don't know what the future holds. But that does not alter God's financial principles that he's given to us in the Bible. Um, and these principles of saving apply whether we think we're going to be here for another day or another 10 years or another 50 years. A fool spends all that he makes. Next, minor decisions have major results to savings. Proverbs 6, 10, and 11. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. I love how Solomon puts that adjective in there, little. Um, so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. Have you ever been on a vacation and the money seems to go faster than when you're sitting at home? It's like at home, it's like it's going fast enough. And then you go on vacation and it's like, holy cow, what is going on? I had to pay a toll. I had the restaurant, the tip, the guy at the hotel, all the stuff. It just adds up the rental car, the tolls. And this is what Solomon says. A little indiscretion in our life has a monumental effect on savings. Now, this is only a 30-minute lesson, so we don't have time to show you graphs and everything, but you've all heard of compound interest. How the younger you start saving, the more power it accumulates over years. And this is what Solomon is saying here. Little decisions, little things that we do, we think they're minor, have a big impact on saving. It takes a strong willpower to save. Proverbs eleven sixteen, A gracious woman retaineth honor, and strong men... Retain riches. Um, it takes a lot of strong self-discipline because there's so many tugs on our finances. Um, now, I put savings here as number five because we do need to pay our bills and we need to give. But saving needs to be incorporated into our financial life as well. Waste is the enemy of saving, Proverbs twelve twenty seven. The slothful man roasteth not that which he took in hunting, but the substance of the diligent man is precious. And when our substance is precious, we're very careful about how we spend it. Savings are not sure. And I've already said this, but this is something we always need to keep in mind. Um, I'm not teaching up here that our faith should be in our money. 
when I, when I told my wife faith and finances, like, faith and finances? I thought our, our faith was supposed to be in God. So it's not, I'm not saying put your faith in your finances. I'm saying have faith as you handle your finances. But here, savings are not sure. And we as Christians, above all else, know that. That our, our rock, our foundation is not what's in our bank account. But that does not give us a past uh, not to be responsible with it. Um, Proverbs 23, 4 and 5. This is a very important uh, directive that Solomon gives here. Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Our stewardship is not because we're trying to become self-sufficient. Our stewardship is because the gifts that God has given to us require us to be good stewards of them. Not so that we can become self-sufficient. Our sufficiency is on God. But that does not give us a pass to be, oh, I don't care about my money. Um, God still expects us to be good stewards. Uh, Number six. I have two more. Fruitfulness of investing. After we save... There comes a point in our life, and probably many of you are there or have also already participated in this, of investing. And investing basically is just saving with risk, with an element of risk. Now, there's, of course, we all know there's a risk to everything, but saving is a concept of putting money aside. Investing is taking that savings and putting it into something that incorporates risk but also has a bigger reward. Invest for the long term, Proverbs 28, 22. Here we go again. He that hasteth to be rich hath an evil eye, and considereth not that poverty shall come upon him. That urge to get rich quick, Solomon over and over and over again warns, do not fall for that trap. Do not watch the television and the social media and find those people who tell you, you can get rich, you know, I got a get rich quick uh, recipe for you. Uh, Over and over, Solomon warns against that. Next, invest without greed. Proverbs 15, 27. He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house, but he that hateth gifts shall live. We have to learn to handle our finances and be good stewards without becoming greedy of gain, without letting that be our motivation. Or, and what greed does is greed gives us permission to cross ethical lines. That's what greed does. It gives us permission. Well, you're more important than those other people. So yes, you can abuse them. Yes, you can misuse them. Yes, you can be dishonest. Um, You deserve their money more than they deserve it. And that's what greed tells us. Next, investing involves responsible risk analysis. Look what Solomon says here in Proverbs 31, 16. She, talking about the wise woman here in Proverbs 31, she considereth a field. See that verb there, considereth? She considereth a field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hand, she planteth a vineyard. Here, uh, uh, Solomon is telling us about a woman, and he says, she does the analysis of the risk. There is risk involved in buying a vineyard. Is it going to rain next year? Is it going to be a good soil? Is it going to be profitable? Am I going to dump all this investment in this piece of property, and it's not going to turn out? It was safer for her to keep her money in her house. But she makes an investment here. Next, diversify your investments. Ecclesiastes 11, 1 and 2. This is the only verse I have from Ecclesiastes, but Solomon also wrote Ecclesiastes. Cast thy bread upon the waters, 
for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. Back in those days, the main, one of the main ways that they invested, they didn't have stock markets like we do, but they would invest in shipping uh, as the Phoenicians and the Egyptians and uh, different uh, civilizations, they would ship. And so the way you made money is you would buy a part of a boat or the goods on a boat and you would invest. And as they went and, and traded and brought back, you would get a portion of the profit that that ship made. And Solomon makes a very wise um, Suggestion here. He says, when you're investing, he says, cast your bread upon the waters. In other words, go ahead, invest in the ships that are, that are trading across the water. But give a portion to seven or eight. Don't put all of your investment in one boat, he says, to, uh, as a wise advice. He says, diversify your investments. You don't, and why does he say that? For you don't know what evil shall be upon the earth. You don't know when the hurricane's going to hit. You don't know when that boat's going to land and there's going to be a war. You don't know what's going to happen to that ship. So diversify your investments. And that's the fruitfulness of investing. And then the last one, I've got two, three and a half minutes, the blessing of, bequ- of bequeathing. The blessing of bequeathing. I had to look up that word bequeathing. I tried to say bequesting and my uh, dictionary wouldn't allow me to say bequesting because bequesting is not a word. Bequest is the... Ne- is the Noun, I guess, and bequeath is the verb. So, the blessing of bequeathing. In other words, what are you going to leave for the next generation? Be intentional about investing in future generations, just, not just in ourselves. Proverbs 13, 22. A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children. And the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. See, Solomon says, don't use all of your... Don't just spend everything on yourself. A good man thinks about the next generation and the generation after that. Next, pass down both a good house and a good home to the next generation. In other words, pass down physical blessings like money and inheritance if you're able to, but also make sure that they get the more important things of life. Proverbs 19.14 Houses and riches are the inheritance of fathers, and a prudent wife is from the Lord. So Solomon is saying, Okay, dads, you can give your kids a fat bank account and you can get them started on a good house, but make sure you teach them how to rely on God for building a home because you're, you're not going to be able to buy a wife. You're not going to be able to buy a relationship. You're not going to be able to buy uh, that, those things that are more important. And then lastly, some things are better to pass down than riches. And I have several things here that Solomon says throughout the book of Proverbs, and I'll close with this. Proverbs fifteen sixteen. Better is little. By the way, we've been talking about how to handle our finances, but in order to have a proper perspective, we have to understand that Solomon never put finances at the top of his priorities. And so we have to keep them in the proper perspective. This is why I'm finishing with these verses. Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. So what's better than money? fear of God. Proverbs 15, 17. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. What's better than wealth? Love. Proverbs 16, 8. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues without right. What's better than great revenues? Righteousness. Proverbs 16, 19. Better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly 
than to divide the spoil with the proud. What's better than having a huge uh, accumulation of wealth? Having a humble spirit. Proverbs 19.1 Better is the poor that walketh in his integrity than he that is perverse in his lips and is a fool. What's better than having riches is having integrity. Proverbs 19.22 The desire of a man is his kindness and a poor man is better than a liar. What's better than being rich? Being honest. And lastly, Proverbs 22.1 A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and a loving favor rather than silver and gold. What's better than great riches? A good name. And these are things Paul, I mean, Solomon reminds us it's important to be a good steward. But in order to be a good steward, you have to have a great perspective on where it fits in the priority of life. And uh, he gives us that in, throughout the book of Proverbs. So that's all. We're out of time. Let me pray and then we can be dismissed. Father, thank you for loving us and for what you, the wisdom you've given to us in your word. Help us to apply it. Help us to be faithful with what you've given to us and to use it for your honor and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.